0: I wholly agree with Reformed theology. I think the Reformation with Luther, with Calvin, is absolutely the right path for scriptural reading and interpretation. Yes, we are Protestants.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Apt Cast: Applied Philosophy and Theology, where iron sharpens iron, and we poke each other with the pointy ends. I'm your host, Wes, joined as always by Alex. How's it going, buddy?
0: Hey, fam! What's up, happy people? That's your
1: trademark greeting,
0: isn't it? It's gonna have to be. It's gotten too many chuckles from Casey not to be.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, we are in our government-imposed shelter in place, so even though we typically record this on Skype, I don't know about you, but part of me just wanted to meet together somewhere in public just to record in person.
0: Oh my gosh. (laughs) Preach, brother. I legit thought about doing that. I was like, where could we do that without getting a ticket for being somewhere we're not supposed to be? And it ended up being, it's really not anywhere we could go. Right in front of the downtown precinct. Oh, dude, that'd be huge. In the words of Trump, huge. Go Facebook uh, Live. Yeah, for reals. So I was thinking you could come to my house or I could come to your house. But since COVID-14 can pre-exist for 14 days before you show symptoms, I was like, nah. If one of us COVID 14, we don't. 19. No, we've
1: got we've got five more COVID. It's yeah. all nineteen. Sorry,
0: COVID. I was I was <laughs> I was letting my inner Biden come out, bro. The AR fourteen, uh, COVID nineteen, coronavirus. <laughs> Stop, dude! You're making me laugh. Did not realize uh, it was that funny? Um, Ebola. <laughs> yeah, so I, I figured if one of us had it. We didn't need to get the other's wife sick, so yeah, I decided to just fix right. that idea, but I'm glad we both had that same idea.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, I can't work from home this week, so I've actually got to go into the office, which is always fun when you work with 1,500 of your closest friends. Dude, are they all still there? I thought you said they were mostly working remotely. Uh, the feelers were put out to to test, and the equipment has been ordered. But in the meantime, the show must go on. The calls must be answered. Because, you know, in the financial services industry, we are essential.
0: Dude, remote VoIP phones that are going to go over their home internet to their houses? That's some serious infrastructure your company's about to invest in to be able to support that. If they can support it.
1: we are talking to somebody who already has a company-issued PC, and I can't even log in from home. Yeah. But, but oh, I digress.
0: Dude, speaking of. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to digress now. Thanks. <laughs> uh, because I work from home normally, my only way of logging into our corporate network is through VPN. We have a Cisco VPN. Everybody who's not necessary for the operation of the business to work from an office is now working remotely. We have something like right. 50,000 employees just in the United States, Two hundred and fifty, three hundred thousand, 300,000, maybe more than that in the world. Oh, wow. So where it was a couple of thousand people were working remotely on a daily basis before the shutdown and the remote work. Now we've got 50 plus thousand just in the States. Yeah. Our Cisco VPNs have crashed on us. I tried to log in today to pull a license for my AutoCAD because our CAD license is network managed. We don't have dedicated licensing. So it, it said I wasn't even authorized to log in. I was like, (laughs) <laughs> what? So our <laughs> VPN has actually crashed. Not they've used all the licenses, licenses, and it's not available to me. The VPN has crashed. Oh, and my manager logged in to our alternative VPN that they've set up for core business, the engineering team, the management team. You know us. And we can't access our AutoCAD license through that VPN. (laughs) We can get on the VPN, but our sole reason for getting on uh, isn't available. Uh, Talk about first world problems. Dude, first world problems. (laughs) I still have a job. I have no possibility of losing the job. And I'm complaining about not being able to do my job. First world problems. Sorry, people that are out there struggling, not making ends meet. I, I hate to... Uh, sound crass or you know talk about problems that aren't really problems in your mind it's just it's kind of ironic
1: they are no longer happy people because of you alex yeah i'm
0: sorry i really do feel for you people uh
1: yeah you done with your digression Can can we continue with the introduction now
0: i guess so <laughs> i had to digress man
1: Gee. Uh, yeah. It wouldn't be an episode if you didn't Take us down a rabbit hole of some sort Duh, our ten Yeah, there's still ten Yeah man Alright, so He's Alex, I'm Wes You can find us online at facebook.com Slash aptpodcast Like the page Share the posts and the episodes uh, And most of all Subscribe to our feed You can find us on any podcast catcher Shout out to a couple of new likes this past week. Rob McNew, a buddy from the uh, Tavern Talk podcast. So as soon as uh, SEC Sports get back up and running, you can hear him on Tavern Talk. And Nelson Henry, I believe that's a friend of yours, Alex?
0: Yes, one of my former students and longtime friend since then.
1: Nice. Shout out to the new likes. We appreciate it, guys. Uh, Thanks for liking and listening. So... We've been talking about this ever since we started the idea of a podcast, Calvinism. Here we we've are. have been having this debate for years, uh, and for, for those who don't know, we've come a long way in the discussion. Um, I think Facebook reminded me it was three or four years ago where we were actually private messaged by a staff member at the church. It so was four years ago. public conversation was getting out of hand and to chill. Yep. And so since then... We've chilled a little, yep. but there will be much poking of the pointy ends in this <laughs> series. We're going to get into
0: the next six weeks, at least.
1: Yeah, we're going to get into the five points of Calvinism. So we thought it'd be good. Um, Alex, I, you, you had this idea. I thought it was really good to kind of set a baseline uh, so the the audience knows where we're coming from. In case this is the first you've heard of Calvinism. To give some background, you've got the Reformation that started in 1517 with Luther posting the 95 Theses. Uh, Enter John Calvin, who uh, writes the Institutes of the Christian Religion, one of the the earliest systematic theologies uh, of the Reformed tradition. Uh, That came out in 1536, at least the first edition it was revised. John Calvin passes away in 1564, And there is a group known as the Remonstrants, led by, or at least identified with, Jacob Arminius. Uh, Arminianism comes from him. Uh, They uh, come about uh, in the late 1500s, and specifically, they're opposing some particular elements of Calvin's theology. And and there are five really uh, particular areas where they disagree, and... Fast forward to 1610, uh, the Remonstrants present five points of disagreements with Calvinism as understood at this point by the Dutch Reformed Church. So we're still in continental Europe at this point. Uh, Now, mind you, this is almost, uh, uh, almost 50 years after John Calvin has passed away. Jacob Arminius actually passes away in 1609. So this is the year after he's passed. The movement's still going. And in the six, late 1610s, so 1618 and 19, there's big conference. known as the Synod of Dort. Met and decided amongst themselves to uphold what we now recognize as the five points of Calvinism. So, if you hear the five points of Calvinism, it's not Calvin sitting down and saying, "Here are five areas of hmm. soteriology." This is not part Calvin's of his, ideas. Yeah, it, it's it's not specifically Calvin's ideas. But it's a response to a response to Calvin's ideas. It is basically the long and short of it. And we recognize it in the acronym TULIP, which refers to total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. So T-U-L-I-P, TULIP. So that is kind of the baseline for what it is. Um, A few things that Calvinism is and is not. Calvinism is part of Reformed theology, but it's not the whole of Reformed theology. Uh, Reformed folks, just ask somebody who's Reformed and they'll tell you. There's much more to Reformed theology than just Calvinism.
0: Yeah, even even the Arminians and the Lutherans, too, in different ways, all identify with the Reformed camp. You know, they, yeah. they, they both very thoroughly reject the the main talking points of calvinism but they all identify with reformed theology so it is far more than just calvinism we're just focusing on calvinism because that's your camp
1: continue right. I'm sorry and yeah no that's fine calvinism would be more uh, appropriately referred to as reformed soteriology or reformed understanding of salvation but like you say whether we're reformed or not, we all are part of this Protestant branch who join in disagreement with uh, the Church of Rome. So we, we have some uh, unity there. And actually, um, with that, Calvinism is not a mark of orthodoxy.
0: And I think that's something that we can both agree on. For the love, preach. <laughs> Too many in Soteriology 101 that missed that on both sides of the argument.
1: I'm gonna blur that that group name out. That group shall not be named. <laughs> but no, in, in all seriousness, uh, I would consider soteriology uh, a third order view. Uh, so you have first orders, which are the foundational things: our understanding of God, the Trinity, Jesus, God and man. Uh, those are foundational. Can't be a Christian if you don't accept those things. The second order differences are going to be denominational. So Alex and I are both Baptists. We have similar views on how baptism should be administered, how the church should be structured, congregational leadership, that type of thing. So, Soteriology is going to be separate from that. It's going to be out there with eschatology, things like that that are finer points of theology that derive from other points of theology and influence other points of theology, but really are not, um, how do I put this delicately? Uh, they're not reasons to throw somebody out of the kingdom. So Alex is not a Calvinist. I still embrace him as a brother in Christ. Uh, Well, not now because we're in quarantine, but (laughs) you get the idea.
0: (laughs) You virtually embrace me, brother. Virtual high five.
1: Yes. Um, Calvinism is a part of a broader systematic theology um, regarding aspects of God's sovereignty, providence and predestination, but it is no way... An exhaustive commentary on the subject. So, as we go through these points, we'll have elements of sovereignty, like like we talked about last week, and providence, like we talked about last week, and inevitably, there's going to be some predestination. So, we'll get into that, and we'll kind of weave that into the conversation. Um, Calvinism is a major aspect of numerous denominations, uh, but as I said, it's not a mark of orthodoxy. So, you've got Presbyterians who are Calvinists, you've got Baptists like myself, who are Calvinist. Uh, you've still got the Dutch Reformed tradition and, and a few other smaller denominations out there. Uh, but we're in the Southern Baptist uh, Convention. We're members of the Southern Baptist Convention, and there's no official denominational standpoint on soteriology. So you can be a Calvinist, you can be a non-Calvinist, you can be an Armenian. Yeah, there's,
0: there's both affirmation and, I would say, almost denial of many of the core Calvinist points in the Baptist faith and message. So uh, some of those conversations that happen online, the questions is, is Baptist moving towards or formally Calvinist? I don't see that in our BFM. Yeah, I, I, You know, we've talked about that several times. There are components that identify, you know, what is known as tulip doctrine, but then there are components that almost explicitly rejected as well. Um, so on the, but are you are you done with that five points of introduction or are we needing to five points of introduction? <laughs> yeah. Um I've I've got more, but Okay. So I've got a question. Yeah, I've got a question before we move on. Uh within the Presbyterian camp, is yep. there any subgroup within the Presbyterian camp that is not Calvinistic Reformed?
1: Um, I would say so. Um back in the 60s, 70s, uh, there there was a split in the PCA, the Presbyterian Church of America, Yep, uh, which resulted in the PCUSA uh, denomination, okay. which has become more and more liberal theologically. And with any type of theological liberalism, there's going to be at least an implicit, if not an explicit rejection of uh, established orthodoxy within that denomination. Uh, So, whereas PCUSA churches may hold to Calvinism uh, and and a more reformed understanding uh, of theology in general, the embrace the full Westminster Confession, for example, many PCUSA churches, because they're going down this liberal theological slide, are rejecting some or all of that theological heritage.
0: So maybe, maybe they still baby dunk, but... Don't consider pedobaptism as uh soteriologically core to the new covenant community stuff oh, like that. Oh, they wouldn't that. even
1: baby dunk. They just baby sprinkle.
0: Oh. Well just yeah. I, I like baby dunk better than baby sprinkle, right?
1: The gifts we're
0: are not, better. We we're not going yeah, right. We're not we're not going all <laughs> we're not going all Methodist or Catholic with the true sprinkle. I, I want people yeah. to imagine baby dunk. Yeah. <laughs> they like they, they
1: don't. They don't throw the baby into the bathwater.
0: Yeah okay, <laughs> so they they don't do it at all, or they don't view it as uh the what was the other group PC PCA S-A, PCA uh yeah
1: th- there's a bunch of different Presbyterian subgroups yeah <laughs> but the more liberal which one's Briarwood Briarwood PCA uh, Briarwood's PCA yeah okay
0: that makes sense with some of their preachings okay it's great isn't it I mean except for the whole baby sure. dunking thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Wes and I vehemently disagree on most soteriological points, but we both agree that Baby Duncan is not biblical.
1: <laughs> yeah, no. That's, that's no bueno.
0: At, least, at least not a component of the old covenant transferred to the new covenant the way the Presbyterians describe it as a necessary, mm-hmm. proper inclusion of the child of Christians into the covenant community. Uh, that's why know, we're Baptists. Yeah, man. We, we we are salvation-related baptism only, yep. covenant baptism.
1: So actually kind of related to this, the, the next point I had in my notes is that Calvinism is not represented in a monolithic way. Um, I say that to to mean that if you ask a Calvinist to explain Calvinism, we're all going to affirm TULIP. However, you're going to have people explain it different ways. So there may be different understandings, different enunciations of each particular point. You're also going to have some folks who agree with some of the five points, but not all. Like You've got what's called four-point Calvinists, which may reject limited atonement, for example. And we'll talk more about that once we get there, uh, to that particular doctrine.
0: And b- before you move on from that point, uh, so that nobody accuses me of manning Calvinism, Uh, Because Wes and I have been having this discussion for more than four years, nearly five years now, he and I understand each other's particular positions rather well relative to the variety of positions that are available in Calvinism and Reformed theology beyond those explicitly willing to call themselves Calvinists. Uh, So when I counter a point, it is either going to explain, Explicitly, be me questioning Wes on why some Calvinists believe A, B, or C, or my response to his particular position. So, if you have a problem with my counterpoint, don't blame me for (laughs) strawmanning your position because I'm not responding to your position. I understand there, if there are five million Calvinists in the world, there are ten and a half million particular perspectives about Calvinism.
1: (laughs) Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's fair, and I think that's going to be common in any theological uh, perspective. I mean, non-Calvinists are just as varied, but I think it's helpful to point out that Calvinists specifically, since that's what we're talking about here, not everybody is going to agree with TULIP the way that I'm explaining it. Yeah. Um, they may want to make certain uh, differentiations or certain distinctions that, that maybe I don't make. Maybe I just assume and haven't articulated it properly. I'm not above correction either. So, with that, if you have any issues with how we explain it, feel free to uh, reach out to us on the social medias.
0: Or if, or if you don't even consider it a problem, you just would like to respond and give a counterpoint, please do that as well. i yeah. would love to hear your thoughts.
1: Absolutely. Um, and, and also, uh, going back to Calvinism being part of Reformed theology, um, with Calvinism, it's part of or explicitly endorsed by some confessions of faith, like the Westminster Confession, like the Second London Baptist 1689 Confession of Faith, but it's also explicitly refuted by others, such as the traditional statement on soteriology that that you see in some Facebook groups that shall not be named. (laughs) Uh, But then you have something like the Baptist Faith and Message that doesn't take a particular standpoint either way. So this is a, an area of doctrine that depending on what denomination you're in, your particular confession may endorse it, may reject it, or maybe it doesn't take a, a position one way or another. And uh, so I think that's, that's a pretty good uh, place to kind of land the introduction. Uh, don't plan on doing that every episode because good grief, that was a lot of talking.
0: Yeah, I don't think we're going I I don't think it's fair to the first point, especially my uh, questions and counterpoints to your your understanding of total depravity to actually get into it in any sort of detail. So let's go over the five point thirty thousand foot overview, and okay. um, if you would, I know you didn't really prepare for this. Also talk about the uh, subgroups of the lapsarian interfaces because. I Gosh. I will bring that up in some of my questions and counterpoints.
1: Okay. Yeah, I didn't prepare for it and in in my mind I think I understand it, but then when I talk about it I might mix them up, so if I get them confused,
0: well I'll I'll give I'll give my my understanding at points if you you, you get held up cuz I know we we didn't at all plan for this. Uh and You can either counter, say you've misrepresented that in my understanding, or position yourself within the three camps based on what I described. How about that?
1: Uh, That sounds fair. So the 30,000-foot overview of TULIP, total depravity is man uh, that is unredeemed. So in our natural fallen state at this point, uh, we have neither the ability nor the desire for anything that's spiritually good, and that includes salvation. Unconditional election. God, before the foundation of the world, chose certain individuals from among the fallen members of Adam's race to be the objects of his undeserved favor, and this choice was made independent of inequality in the sinner, because we are totally depraved. That's why we get the unconditional part from that. Now, the limited atonement would be that Christ's atonement applied specifically to those elect members that it actually saved them as opposed to potentially save them. So we, we would say that the atonement was definite in that it did actually save those whom it was intended for, being the elect, and that it was limited only to the elect. Irresistible grace refers to the inward call of the Spirit and that it never fails to result in conversion to whom it's made. There's a difference between the outward call of the gospel and the inward call of the Spirit. And then perseverance of the saints, all who are saved, the elect, uh, will be preserved in this life for glory in the next. So man, an uh, un- unredeemed man is tuliped, chosen by the Father, saved by the Son, renewed, regenerated by the Spirit, and preserved till the end. That. What do you think?
0: I think that's a good positioning of the five as you have always described them to me. Definitely right. not uh wholly and universally the understanding of every Calvinist on earth. As Wes already pointed out, there are Calvinists, self proclaimed Calvinists. Uh our buddy J D would be one of those oh, in that gosh. group. Yeah. He's who, fun. yeah, who does not agree with the positioning uh as a true five point tulip Calvinist uh believes it. So so with total
1: depravity, that's that's the one we want to focus on. With the time that we have left in this episode, Uh, and we're not going to do the the... lapsarians. Well, we kind of are because I think it 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 fits well in this particular document uh, doctrine. Yeah. So with total depravity, we're looking at who man is uh, apart from salvation. Yep. Um, So post fall, Adam's sin uh, uh, resulted in the sinful nature of all human beings. Uh, And with that, so let's go to the Lapsarian before we pass that. Lapsarian views look at the relationship between uh, God's plan of salvation and the fall, if I understand this correctly. So did God ordain the fall and then those to be saved logically uh, after that? Or did God choose some to be saved and then ordain the fall after that? So it has to do with the fall in the plan of God's redemptive order. I think I understand that right now as far as which one is superlapsarian and which one is infralapsarian. I, I forget which.
0: Yeah. So the most layman's terms version of the descriptions that I can come up with is superlapsarian, also known as anti-lapsarian. Well, not anti, anti-lapsarian. Uh, yeah. Is God's decree is in this order. One. God decreed the election of some in the eternal condemnation of others. Double el- election, election. Double predestination. And to, yeah, double predestination. Two. God decreed to create those who elected and eternally condemned. Excuse me. Who those elected? Those who are elected and those eternally condemned. Uh, I'm reading off my notes here. If it's not obvious. Yep. Three. God decreed to permit the fall. Okay. uh and for God decreed to provide salvation for elect through Jesus Christ
1: right so step one God chose who would be saved who would not right step two he chose to create both uh groups of individuals correct step three the fall step four salvation for those whom he chose
0: correct yeah and those are those are all linearly before creation right right so whether they are one well, two for three the fall itself well, well God, I guess this God is in the decreed, mind of God prior to yeah, creation. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God decreed yeah. to permit the fall. God decreed to provide salvation. So the way I understand lapsarian ideology is that God in his mind came up with the plan of creation. The entire plan start to finish right, prior to let there be light. Right. Right uh yeah. prior to and, and that's Genesis 1- too, by the way. Yeah. That that's that's been my interpretation of your belief. Uh infralapsarian uh, known as after the lapse, after the fall. Yeah. Uh, puts God's decrees slightly different. God decreed the creation of mankind, God decreed mankind would be allowed to fall into sin through their own self-determination, God decreed to save some of the fallen. God decreed to provide Jesus Christ as redeemer. So it, it, it's mostly the way I understand this in any infralapsarians who have been in this position, most of, or all of your self-proclaimed Calvinist existence. Uh, and I don't mean that insultingly. I just didn't know how else to put that, you know, not your Christian existence, your time within the Calvinist camp. Uh, Please explain if it's different than you believe, because as Wes said himself, I have always viewed him as being within the superlapsarian camp. But my understanding of that is most of that happened in the mind of God prior to creation. He knew it would happen, but he did not decree Jesus as the redeemer until they fell. Right. It was planned. It was ready. It was ready to go. But he did not decree it actually happen until man chose to sin in Adam and Eve and fell. Um, So sublapsarian under the lapse is uh, similar to infralapsarianism, and I don't really know how to properly position it separated. But but I think this, uh, you know, if, if, if J.D. happens to listen and I'm being uncharitable to his position, please speak up and correct us. But this, to me, seems to be most in line with what I hear J.D. describe his own position as, uh, puts to God's decrees, God decreed uh, to create human beings, God decreed to permit the fall, God decreed to provide salvation sufficient to all, God decreed to choose some to receive this salvation. Uh, The only difference to me seems to be whether God first decreed to provide salvation through Christ then chose to save some or vice versa. And that seems to be hinged on the point that comes up in S101 where some Calvinists believe people are actually able to respond but would never choose to do so. And that's what, put in my mind, puts J.D. in this camp is because he explicitly says people— are capable of responding because Scripture says, te- commands them to respond, but they never choose to do so. I see that as self-contradictory. You know, if if you're able I do to too, do, which is why I don't hold to it, right? If, if you're <laughs> if you're able to do so, but would never do it, you're not able to do so, right? Uh, being able being able to do something means there's actually a statistical possibility it occurs. If there's a well, 0.0 no, it, point being zero able to, to do an, something
1: means you have the capacity within yourself to accomplish whatever the thing is. Right. The actualization of it is a is a different matter. So like right now, I have the ability to go outside. I am choosing not to. Fair. Right. The statistical possibility of me going outside before we finish this episode is 0. So there's right. no possibility of that happening, but I currently have the
0: ability to do so at any given point. Right. So, from the sublapsarian point of view, it actually doesn't pay attention to Scripture. It's trying to mesh what I read in Scripture as refuting Calvinism with the presupposition that Calvinism is true. So, it's kind of seeing Scripture the way I read it, but trying to mesh that with the the Calvin-Tulip doctrines. So... Infralapsarian, in, infralapsarian. In my mind, the people who have described themselves as infra and subs, the the descriptions and explanations they come up with all do the same thing. They just describe it differently. They they yeah. try to mesh non-Calvinist interpretation of Scripture within the Calvinist doctrine, instead of presupposing Calvinist tulip interpretation of everything onto it, uh, it, which necessarily puts people in the super lapsarian can. Uh, and I will say this to me, the only internally self definition, logical version is super lapsarianism. The other two are so self contradictory. They're not even worth arguing because the people defeat their own arguments when they get, when they really engage and yeah, dive deep into it. The only one that makes sense from Calvinist interpretation, tulip, five point tulip interpretation of scripture is superlapsarianism. And even it is illogical from a Scripture point of view, in my mind.
1: Oh, yeah. I was with you right up until the end, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I, with, with, with all of these different, oh, yeah, of course. With all of these different, uh structures of it, and I think it's helpful to to point out that with all of them, you have God at the center, right? It's God who's choosing to create, God who's choosing to save, God who is ordaining the fall. In whatever order it's explained, um, you have God at the center of all of it. So I think to to that degree, Calvinism is consistent with all of them. I agree with you also, though, that logically, since this is a logical order, it's not a chronological order. It makes more sense to me that superlaposarianism is true. Like I read Ephesians 1, in him we were chosen before the foundation of the world. Well, in who? In Christ. So there was a plan of, of salvation. Actually, it's not in him we were
0: chosen. We were chosen in him. You're getting that reversed, which what? is where your Calvinist misinterpretation comes from. I digress. We were chosen Sorry. in him. Oh my gosh. All right. <laughs> This is what the next five weeks are going to be like. People. <laughs> oh,
1: I just got poked with a pointy end. <laughs> but Sorry. Continue. No, no, no. But it's, it's that. From your
0: perspective,
1: that understanding is correct, that, that. That is says, the logical yeah. progression. Yeah. Prior to creation, all of this was set in the mind of God. And, and that said, um, I don't have a problem with saying that the fall was preordained, was predestined. That doesn't mean that Adam wasn't responsible for it, uh, but that's the reality. And from uh, the the perspective of, or or actually looking at this particular doctrine today, total depravity, what's the result of that? Well, through one man's sin, uh, transgression, sin entered into the world and death through sin. So yeah, let's
0: let's back up for a second. Uh okay. We we're, we're deep enough into this I really don't think we're going to do total depravity justice to dive into it today. So I do want to back up. Let's talk about the five solas for a minute and uh no. I mean, yeah, I love talking about the solas. That's fine too. Uh we're we're going to dive <laughs> You deep just don't want to talk about total depravity. We're going to dive deep into it next week unless you want to have a 2-hour episode today. We're not diving into Tulip today because
1: We're not going to get it
0: done in 15 minutes. I've got too much question, too many counterpoints to give for us to do it in 15 minutes. Uh, So (laughs) let's, let's give the crowd, you you know, your buddies in the reformed camps, uh, some input on my points of agreement on what you've already stated. Uh, Before we get into, the five points and how illogical I see them as being uh, so that they don't think I'm just some heathen heretic who is just contrary to be a contrarian. Um, Give, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I know, right? Uh, (laughs) Give, give your understanding of the five solas. My understanding of the five solas? Yeah. Your, your, your opinion of what they mean and your understanding of them. So, so the five
1: solas of the Reformation uh, refer to uh, sola fide, faith alone; sola gratia, grace alone; sola Christus, uh, in Christ alone; sola scriptura, according to the Scripture alone; sola Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. These are five specific points of disagreements with Rome, and so where and I
0: wholly accept those without question, uh,
1: all, all five of them. And, and so the, the the way that I've heard them. Presented that is most persuasive to me is that salvation is by grace alone, whereas Rome would say it's by grace and merit. Yes, salvation is uh, by faith alone, as opposed to faith and works. Yes, salvation is in Christ alone, as opposed to Christ and the treasury of merit or wh- whatever the additional righteousness is that that is applied yes. to sinners. The righteousness
0: of Christ alone. That authority. Uh, is according to the Scripture alone, through Solus Christus and Christ alone, as opposed to uh, a more Lutheran or, or Arminian interpretation of James or the Johns, uh, first, second, third. Not third John. Which which one has first, yeah, second, there's third? a third John? John. Yeah, John. Yeah. Uh, the the works. Now who doesn't point. know the Bible? Yeah, I know. Oops. <laughs> uh, I was thinking it was Peter, but then I was like, no, Peter only has two. Which one am I screwing <laughs> up? Um, so, the third, and I'm sorry to get you off off the rails there, but I just I wanted the right. input there. Uh, so far, I wholly agree with you, and even in Christ alone, because works of man do not give salvation, and the idea that uh, a a born again sealed Christian can lose their faith is nauseating intentional misinterpretation of scripture to me. Uh I don't believe Lutherans and Armenians and anyone else who holds to that camp is not a brother in Christ. They absolutely are. I just it, as much as I see willful misinterpretation of scripture by Calvinists, I see the same thing from them on that point. So yeah. uh sorry, continue. I had to point I had had to point out my input there for lack of yeah. a better description. No, that's fine. So continue on sola scriptura. So, so with, with uh,
1: Sola Scriptura refers to the authority of Scripture alone as opposed to having the authority of the church or church tradition on par with that. So the, the, church, or, uh, the church of Rome would have the Pope speaking ex cathedra, which would be infallible, which would put it on par with Scripture. And then finally, uh, to the glory of God alone, which if you put any trust in the merit of man, the works of man, the hope of man, or the authority of man, then you also have the glory of man. So the glory of salvation is uh, to God alone. So that's
0: that's how I understand. How about our dude on that last point in that group you don't want to name who was talking about <laughs> salvation by being good. <laughs> There's none good but God. Right. Um. So anyway, uh, from that point, I wholly and unequivocally agree with everything you've said there. Now, how that is framed within Calvinism and yep. the Five Points of Tulip Doctrine, I start to digress, and I disagree with the conclusions drawn because it's either circular reasoning or begging the question that reaches, in my mind, reaches the Calvinist conclusions. So, if
1: if if by circular reasoning means you you start with the Bible and then you you, you get back to the Bible, I'm, I'm no. good with
0: that. <laughs> it it means you start with Calvinist presuppositions about interpretations of the Bible uh, to reach the conclusion about other passages and the implications on those passages. Uh, no, uh, I just like you, I start with the Bible anyway, with the Bible to reach my position, even if I support it with other ideas of man. Uh, but. On that point, the uh, the reason I wanted to bring up the five solas is I wholly agree with you there. That there is no other authority but th- saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. There, Amen. There is no other authority on earth. And from that perspective, I wholly agree with Reformed theology as yes. opposed to the cath- the catholic uh, tradition and religion we are uh, protestants my problem my problem with calvinism and lutheranism and arminianism is they seem to not well they don't seem to they they have reached a conclusion i yeah. don't think the reformation is done i think the reformation Simpa reformanda always reforming I, I think the reformation with luther with Calvin, and then eh, not as much Arminius, but even him to an extent, uh, is absolutely the right path for scriptural reading and interpretation as opposed to the traditions and behaviors and authority of the church leadership you see in Catholicism. Uh, So while between us, I would say I identify with the Reformation. I refuse to identify with Calvinism, <laughs> Arminianism, or Lutheranism, because there are major flaws in their thinking, from how I read Scripture, and from how uh, very respected and respectable theologians, not in those camps, disagree with certain interpretations of one or more of those three camps. So we're focusing on Calvinism because that's your viewpoint. But some of the theologians I have read, uh, some of their cultural and language interpretations of the original texts uh, present more logical continuity and continuously logical progressions of Scripture start to finish to me than any of those three camps can accommodate. So for for my own purposes, it is the fact that counterpoints to things that didn't sit well with me in the various camps, and we're focusing on Calvinism because that's the one you hold to, uh, yep. have led me to see a very easy, more plain reading of the text, more logical interpretation of Scripture than what... For our purposes of the discussion, Calvinism uh, results in. Uh, so, within that point, all five tulip doctrine points have some veracity or other, some level of veracity. You know, they, they have some reasonableness in their logical progression. The problem is to reach those four points. Questions have to be begged or too many presuppositions have to be placed on interpretation while also missing more plain reading of some of those texts mm-hmm. to reach each of the doctrines. Uh, so uh, total depravity is one we're going to have fun with. but No, you uncon- said we can't
1: talk about that one.
0: I know, but <laughs> unconditional election is where I'm really going to question you more deeply than we have in the past because Bring it. you can you can't worm out of it with uh redirection like you've done <laughs> in the past. We've got an hour dedicated to just unconditional. Yeah. But anyway, so I believe the reformation has failed in as much as the three camp, the three primary camps of the reformation have settled on an answer that each one of which in its own way contradicts either itself or more plain reading of scripture in my m- mind and opinion from the the studies I've done. Um,
1: well, I'd, I'd, I'd like to, to point out uh, again, that this is one aspect of a broader understanding of theology. Now, granted, yes. Soteriology, yeah. how we're saved is a very, very important aspect of our theology. I, I don't want to diminish that at all, but you know, when we talk about, like you said, the three main branches, I think one of the the branches, if you will, that you're leading out is actually uh, more broadly held than we might realize. Traditionalism. That's molinism Molinism. that oh, no, okay. No, molinism. Yeah.
0: Molinism. Um, I would say, and, I would say even though they don't self-identify as reform because it has been too heavily tied to, I, please continue on Molinism once I put this, insert this. But uh, even though the traditionalists, the Baptist traditionalists, don't hold to Reformed ideology because they've been counterpointed by Calvinist Baptists and the Presbyterians since the start of the Reformation, I I, I would say it's more Reformed than not to hold to traditionalism.
1: Uh, I think it's hilarious that they call themselves traditionalists. Or the ones that do now, they also go by the name provisionism or provisionism Yeah, I, I, I like that the that
0: provisionism answer. moniker much better. It, it makes more sense uh, in in its anachronism correlation to tulip, right? Than than traditionalist. Traditionalist is just the traditional Baptist, non uh, not Catholic, non-Calvinist Baptist mm-hmm. traditional views, which vary as much as Calvinist. Which is an does. oxymoron.
1: just saying 1689 all right so continue the confessions the abstract of principles dude none of those were
0: the only baptists in existence every one of those had non non non-agreeable non-calvinist counterpoints within the baptist community
1: yeah but they became amish you're talking about the (laughs)
0: anabaptists (laughs) no i'm not even talking about the quakers and the amish
1: Oh, gosh.
0: gosh. okay. So continue Molinism. Sorry. Big digression.
1: Yeah, big digression. Um, So I actually wanted to get, since we're kind of wrapping up, I I was going to put you on the spot, but I'll go ahead and start off. Uh, I want to ask you uh, as a non-Calvinist, some of your, your, one of your favorite uh, Calvinist teachers, preachers, uh, writers, something like that. And I will offer my favorite uh, non-Calvinist of the same. And since I was on the topic of Molinism, I want to point out William Lane Craig, who was a huge part of my apologetic development early on. Uh, Once I got into the study of theology and apologetics, he is probably the most well-known Molinist today. He's got numerous debates with everybody from uh, Christopher Hitchens to Daniel Dennett to, um, uh, what's his face, Sean Carroll, physicist. Physicist. I mean, just a brilliant guy, a really well-spoken and well-articulating in his points, and I, I love to hear him speak, uh, but I also would uh, throw out Ravi Zacharias, uh, who, I mean, I could listen to that man talk about anything for any length of time. His voice is objectively beautiful. It is phenomenal to, to hear him talk, and he is so smart, and he's so widely read, and he's one of those individuals who grew up in the east moved to the West so he's got a cultural understanding that transcends anything that that I can you know myself bring to the table and to hear him talk sometimes he actually sounds like a Calvinist but then other times he sounds completely and, and he's one of those who intentionally, seems to not want to put his foot down in any particular camp because he has a heart for people. And I think that's uh, genuinely important when you do the types of uh, talks and discussions that he does uh, is to really show his heart for people, for people to be saved, for people to come to know uh, Christ as savior. So William Lane Craig, Robbie Zacharias, my two favorite non-Calvinists. So Alex, you've had some time to think who are your favorite Calvinists? And you can't say me.
0: (laughs) Well, you did say Calvinist theologians. While you are a teacher, I wouldn't really consider you a professional theologian, so you don't count, even though you are one of my favorite Calvinists. We haven't Uh, monetized yet. Yeah, I know, right? Actually, TBH, you are by far my favorite Calvinist because you're willing to entertain non-Calvinist perspectives and opinions of Scripture from the non-Calvinist perspective and opinion, whereas... I hate to sound uncharitable. I have never found a Calvinist theologian who I was satisfied with how they positioned non-Calvinist interpretations and beliefs on Scripture. I have never seen them be charitable with non-Calvinist positions the way non-Calvinists describe the position. And that's not to say they don't attempt it. It's just... You know, I haven't studied every writing and every speech and every lecture of every single one of them, but I have never seen them properly represent uh, non Calvinist positions. Um, And I'm going to get some tug in cheap responses from this, but Tim Keller, he's a great Calvinist. Nah, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, I couldn't help throwing that name out. Um, No, so John Piper, even though. Over his entire career, he has made many, many self contradictory statements when you take them as sound bites uh, and compare them to each other. The man still knows the Bible inside and out. And I don't like how he always positions things from a Calvinist perspective. You know, you were talking about uh, your favorites sometimes sounding Calvinist in their presentation of various scriptures. Ryan does that, too, man. I don't think he is a Calvinist because of some of the things he said within the last year and some of his messages. But, man, you, you could confuse him for a Calvinist because some other things he says. Uh, yeah. So uh, I understand that aspect of your positioning. um I, other than John Piper, I don't really get into the messaging of many of the others. Uh, R.C. Sprawl and Charles Spurgeon, some of their writings, some of their uh, speeches are straight up nauseating to me in how much they presuppose strict Calvinist interpretation as the only way to interpret something. I, I very much prefer and appreciate a person who believes in their soteriology and theology, but says, I could be wrong. And here's another way to look at it. I don't believe that way, but it could be that way. I have seen enough of that, not often, but enough of that from John Piper that I respect listening to him, even though over his career, he's quite thoroughly contradicted himself on various topics. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean other All than the backhanded compliments.
1: I love him even though he's just so d- No, I mean y- y- if you pull
0: <laughs> the sound bites, he'll talk about the the sovereignty of God and how uh, God, you know, whether it's causally determined things or preordains things, and then later he'll say something that from a non-calvinist perspective on that scripture his statement agrees with our opinion in wholly contradicts what he said in another lecture on the same subject or a similar subject, but from within his own soteriologically, soteriological mindset makes perfect sense to him. Right. So right. to me, you know, our first episode, we were talking about how I, I, I attempt to view other people's uh worldview and mindset from their point of view, I understand why Calvinists believe scripture says and means what they read it saying, what you read it saying. I disagree with that, but I understand it. And it's just funny to me to see him so blatantly say things I would wholeheartedly agree with that Thoroughly contradict what he said elsewhere, but in his mind they they mesh perfectly. It's it, it it's just funny. So it's not really insulting him. It's just I know things up. I notice <laughs> about his uh, speeches. So John Piper's uh, a theological beast. Uh, one person. No, I'm not going to go there. That's that's being uncharitable. Uh, there is a certain person who is. Very popular in the Calvinism thing, scene these days, who I have no respect for whatsoever because he's basically a theological equivalent of an internet troll. Uh, but I won't name names because that would be very uncharitable. I'm sure non-Calvinists. No, I'm not gossiping. Uh, if, if if he or any of his followers are listening, he knows, they know who I'm talking about. Uh, I, I have no respect for people like that on either side, right? Uh, uh, but if your goal is to insult the ideas of other people without even really addressing their ideas, you're not exuding Christ. And there are people who accuse me of that in the S101 group because I don't hold my punches when I'm countering presumptuous statements and comments of people on there. Uh, but you know, you know, that's my personality. That's not me me being a troll or uncharitable or unloving. That's just how I love people. I I don't hold punches. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, John Piper, even when I I laugh at what seems like blatant contradiction, I love hearing him speak. Uh, the man knows the Bible, you know, he's like Ryan, even if you disagree with something he says, you can't object to his knowledge. Right. Uh, and his passion for it.
1: Um you can disagree, but you know you gotta build a strong case to do so.
0: Yeah. Uh and Vody Balkum, I, oh, I love hearing love that man's speech speak, dude. Oh. Uh I mean, in our first episode I quoted his comment on the eleventh commandment. And that that's my Oh yes. That's my attitude towards charitability and loving kindness towards your fellow man, uh, there is no 11th commandment. You're not supposed to just be nice. You're supposed to (laughs) obey the first 10. And if, if the first 10 are harsh in your interaction with your fellow man, so be it. But yeah, uh, I don't know his, uh, writings and haven't followed his speech nearly as much, but as John Piper. So I can't, talk authoritatively on his various opinions, but he's another one I love listening to. He, uh,
1: he gears a lot of his, um, outward ministry towards, uh, men towards marriage and towards family. Okay. Uh, so that, that, that's what he does a a good bit of, uh, now this, this is coming from a guy who he and his wife adopted like three or four kids. And then they moved the entire family to Zambia to plant a church. Like that's that's where he see was, I didn't so I even mean, know that. Yeah, he's living the life. Like he he yeah. had a pastorate in Houston, and he just packed up and moved to uh, Africa to start a church. And when he comes to the U.S. for for speaking tours and things like that, he's actually coming from another continent. He's not coming from Houston anymore. That's awesome. But he is yeah he's very passionate about discipleship, specifically discipleship in the home. Uh, yeah. So
0: that's. I, it sounds like I need to study him even more, but I, I have loved what I've heard coming from that man. Um, even if I disagree with certain Calvinist perspectives on things, I love that man to death. Um, he certainly has an approach that you, you and I
1: both enjoy.
0: Yeah. So he's not um,
1: afraid to just lay the cards on the table and say, this is it.
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> that's cool. That's fine. Uh, so on that point, W speaking specifically to the missions uh and speaking back to your point that this is basically a, a third tier importance issue uh yep. the, the 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 soteriological details i wholly agree with you there uh the, on that first point you had i just didn't want to interrupt you cuz you were on a roll uh and i view Christians' ability to interact with each other in a loving-kindness way, uh, not getting down in the weeds and nitpicking each other to death over details like this that matter but ultimately don't decide our salvation uh, as fruits of the Spirit, right? So a Calvinist and—not even a non-Calvinist, an anti-Calvinism— Uh, Protestant Christian of any sect being able to go together on missions and spread the gospel and spread the same gospel is evidence of fruits of the spirit, being able to get along and love each other and love their fellow man the exact same way. Those are fruits of the spirit that prove beyond shadow of a doubt. Those people have the same core mattering beliefs. So take the next th- this episode so far in the next five weeks within that <laughs> context that Wes and I both agree that Calvinist, non-Calvinist, whatever reformed, non-reformed, uh, the Catholic question starts to get a, a gray area. Uh, but little C Catholic, little, little C. C Catholic, uh, yeah. all professing Christians need to be able to work together. For the benefit of God's kingdom, and if you can do that, what we're discussing over the next five weeks is ancillary at best. Yeah,
1: I, I think that's one of the beauties of the Southern Baptist Convention is uh, specifically recognizing the importance of the foundations, recognizing the similarities that we have, and the importance of the unity, even with the diversity. But not letting these differences get in the way of missions venture. Um, and I, I really like the illustration of a house where these first order issues are the foundation. The denominational differences are the house itself. And then these third order issues like soteriology are the roof tiles. Me and you, we're in the same house, sitting on the
0: same foundation.
1: If, if we're arguing about the roof tiles, that's fine.
0: But where we are and what we're resting yeah, on... Yeah, we got the same, got the same walls, the same f- framing, the same yeah. f- roof. We have and, different and roof what, tiles. We had different paint. We had different window dressings.
1: Yeah, and, and what organizations like the Southern Baptist Convention do is send missionaries out to lay the foundation, to build the house, and... Let the, let the paint be whatever color they want it to be. Let the roof tiles be whatever they want it to be. All of those third order things are whatever, right? As long as we're united in the message of Christ, the gospel of salvation, that's, that's the important thing. And, and that's, that's what we do. So even as a Calvinist, I'm not one of those who say there's no need for evangelism. There's no need for apologetics because the Great Commission is a thing. <laughs> which Jesus is, said it which is another did.
0: and I agree with you there that it absolutely matters and is a thing the Great Commission but that's another reason even your position in Calvinism seems illogical and co- contradictory to me uh, but we won't get into that till much later <laughs> <laughs> yeah well I, I think we got a good landing place Any, yeah. anything else you want to throw in no. there? Uh, stay safe stay healthy people Uh, don't do what I've done over the last couple of days and dive into the political scene on Facebook. I I feel guilty for some of the conversations I've had in the last couple of days. I haven't followed our pastor's recommendation to bow out of it, be humble, be gentle, be loving and kind uh, because the presumptions, the political banter and hate has not slowed down, has not stopped as I was hoping it would and thought I had seen last, last week the, the fear, the economic, uh, instability are causing even more strife in certain circles. That's not, that's not standard, but it's magnified exponentially, infinitely on social media because you see the most vocal people who are the most angry and the most upset. Uh, I'm bowing out of social media almost exclusively for the next week, uh, because I have interacted unkindly and uncharitably on some of my posts, not my posts, but interactions on other people's posts lately. Uh, it, it's love life. I mean, some of my friends have, uh, shown themselves with their family, taking a walk in the, uh, park. And, you know, if you're isolating from other people, that's still okay. <laughs> you don't have to sit in your house to self isolate. Uh, doing yard work or playing in the yard, right? You don't have to sit yeah. inside your house if you have space to go outside. If you live in a city, it's a little different situation. But if you have the ability to go out and still isolate yourself from other people, man, do it. Don't go to the beach where there's you know, the beaches are closed, so that's irrelevant <laughs> at least in Florida and yeah. Alabama, but you know, don't co- go someplace where you know people are going to congregate if there are people there. But don't sit miserably in your house. Uh, get out and experience the world without the technology, if you have the ability to do so. But stay away from the social media. It's uh, it's a minefield of bad attitude.
1: It's less so now that you're not there. Chokes <laughs> for names. But hey, you, you know what? If you feel guilty about the way your behavior's been, follow the advice of the Pope. If you can't get to confession,
0: just take your concerns directly to God. <laughs> <laughs> Do that anyway. <laughs> so he, so he's recommending we follow scripture instead of following Catholic tradition since we can't get to the Catholic tradition. Interesting. Yep. Okay. It, it took a world pandemic for him to tell us to follow scripture. <laughs> Who'd have thought it? He, he is definitely a unique pope. <sighs> we could dive into the conspiracy theory of the black pope. <laughs> no whoa, whoa whoa race talk no 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 <laughs> not not the ethnically skinned dark pope. if you want to see conspiracy theory go google the black pope oh oh my gosh
1: I, I don't know if i should cut this for outtakes or if this is going to be part of our outro <laughs>
0: do it man leave it in there
1: Ooh. all right so, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll have the music come in about now. Thanks again for listening. Hope this was helpful. Uh, so, sorry we weren't able to get to total depravity, but we will do it justice next week. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, complaints, uh, you can reach out to me on Facebook for the next week, and Alex will respond uh, in seven to ten business days. Maybe.
0: <laughs> See you. Love you, people.